This is a Squiz podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This year, the US and its allies will withdraw the last of their troops from Afghanistan. At the same time, there's a rise in violence from the Taliban and concerns that a civil war between it and supporters of the Afghan government could follow. It's just one more thing for a country that suffered through decades of conflict. It's going to come up time and time again. So in this episode, we'll dive into Afghanistan's history, why the US and other nations, including Australia, got involved and talk of an impending civil war. Squish Shortcuts is your backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Before we get to the latest chapter in Afghanistan's very troubled history, Claire, a quick geography lesson. It's at the crossroads of Central and South Asia. It's bordered by Pakistan to the east, Iran to the west, and Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and China to the north. Lots of stands in there. <laughs> when we look at the origins of Afghanistan, Claire, there's a long history of foreign conquerors and conflict. People have lived in what's now Afghanistan for 50,000 years and there were a series of Buddhist dynasties before Islamic leaders became dominant between the 9th and 12th centuries. Fast forward to the late 19th century and Afghanistan became a place where tensions between the British and Russian empires played out. For a time, the British were in control, but Afghanistan became independent after World War One, with King Amanullah Khan in charge. He brought in reforms to modernise the nation and during the 1950s and 60s some of the biggest strides were made toward a more liberal and westernised lifestyle in Afghanistan. Yeah and there's an iconic image of three young women in the 1970s walking in Kabul that wouldn't have been out of place in any western city from that time but experts say that wasn't a widespread thing. A privileged few were leading that sort of life. Yeah it's a pretty iconic image. We might include that in your episode notes if you want to check that out. Politically during the time Claire there were big changes changes in Afghanistan. The monarchy was overthrown. And in 1978, the Communist People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan took over. And that's when things started to really fracture, when a civil war was unleashed by the Mujahideen fighting the communists. To explain a little bit, the Mujahideen were groups of Muslim guerrilla fighters that were led by regional warlords. That brought about the Soviet-Afghan war in the 1980s with the USSR getting involved to back the communist government of that day. And that saw the US, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia and China and others drawn into support the Mujahideen with billions of dollars in cash and weapons. It's pretty incredible to think now that nations like the US funded the forerunners to today's Taliban. That was all in the name of beating Russia. Yeah, it really is quite incredible. In 1989, the Soviets withdrew from Afghanistan. That war saw up to 2 million Afghans die, but things still weren't settled. There was more civil war as those groups within the Mujahideen fought for supremacy and the Taliban took power in 1996. And because many Afghans were exhausted by years of drought, of famine, of war, the Taliban were actually welcomed by many, but they quickly became known for their harsh enforcement of their interpretation of Islamic Sharia law. Their brutal treatment of many Afghans, especially women, was marked by massacres of Afghan civilians. They denied international aid of food supplies to starving civilians. They burned out huge areas of farming land, all to get an iron grip on power over the nation. 
And perhaps for those listening, this is where things start to sound like a familiar tale of Afghanistan. Under the Taliban, men were required to grow beards and women had to wear the all-covering burqa. And there were bans on television, music, cinema, and a crackdown on education, particularly for girls. Internationally, it's important to note that the Taliban weren't recognised as Afghanistan's legitimate government, except by three countries. That was Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. And then along came the 9-11 terror attacks on the US, and that's when the Taliban really became a global name. Let's get into that now. It was the 11th of September in 2001 when attacks were launched on the US by the Islamic extremist group Al-Qaeda. It's something etched in many of our minds, but just to recap, Claire, 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists hijacked four commercial aeroplanes. Two were flown into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York. A third plane hit the Pentagon just outside of Washington, D.C., and the fourth plane crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. It was the deadliest terror attacks on American soil in U.S. history. 2,977 people were killed. I reckon it was probably the biggest and most shocking global event of my lifetime, and it certainly changed things across the world forever. People from 78 countries were killed in those attacks, and it was absolutely one of those defining moments in history. And before we join the dots as to how this relates to Afghanistan and the Taliban, Claire, who is Al-Qaeda? So Al-Qaeda was formed by Osama bin Laden and other Islamists in 1988. That was during that fight against the Soviets. They were part of the Mujahideen. And after that war, it quickly turned its focus to the United States because it believed that America was an obstacle to establishing a global Islamic state. And here is where we get into how this all relates to Afghanistan. Less than a month after the 9-11 attacks, famously, US President George Bush launched Operation Enduring Freedom. The idea was to stop the Taliban from providing a safe haven to al-Qaeda and to stop the group from using Afghanistan as a base for operations for its terrorist activities. And the US didn't go it alone. It had the backing of its NATO allies. That's the group of European and North American countries. It includes Canada, Germany, France and the UK. Their aim is to safeguard security in that part of the world. Australia was also on board. Our government, led in those days by Prime Minister John Howard, was one of the first to give its backing to the military action. And Howard just happened actually to be in Washington when those September 11 attacks happened. It was one of those weird quirks of timing. To Australia's operations, Claire, they began in October 2001 and they continued until we stopped sending combat troops in 2014. 26,000 soldiers served in Afghanistan. Yeah, it's incredible when you tally up that Australian commitment, of course, billions of dollars as well. But Mm. just back to that October date, what happened during that time was that the US-led coalition started airstrikes on 7 October that targeted both the Taliban and al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And by November 2001, the Taliban government was kicked out of the capital of Kabul. At that point, the United Nations invited major Afghan groups and leaders to a conference in Germany, minus the Taliban, obviously. Obviously, yeah. They ended up signing an agreement for an interim government. And a few months later, Hamid Karzai was voted in as interim leader, a result the US supported. 
Yeah, and he then went on to win an election in November 2004. There were more than 10.5 million Afghans that registered to vote and they chose from 18 presidential candidates. It was notable because it was the country's first elections in more than 30 years. Yeah, and it brought a lot of hope, though the war wasn't over, Claire. No, not by any stretch. They were still fighting the Taliban forces across the country, in the cities and in the mountainous regions. And despite one of the largest manhunts in the world, Osama bin Laden, of course, remained at large and Al-Qaeda, they still existed. Yeah, and it wasn't until 2011 that bin Laden was finally tracked down and killed by US forces at a hideout in Pakistan. And after bin Laden was killed, then President Barack Obama laid out a plan to withdraw 30,000 US troops by 2012. He had hopes of withdrawing all US troops by 2014, but there was a lot of doubt in those days, as there is now, mm. about whether the Afghan government had the capacity to secure the country. Yeah, there was some chat about peace deals with the Taliban and the Afghan government, but instead violence continued. Yeah, and eventually the NATO alliance followed America's decision to withdraw troops and formally ended that combat operation in Afghanistan in December 2014. Troops, though, remained behind from the US, from the UK, NATO countries, also allies like Australia, to help train and support local forces. Then came 2016, and with it, new leadership in the US under President Donald Trump. Again, Claire, things changed. Let's get into that now. One of the platforms of Donald Trump's presidential campaign was to end America's involvement in what he called the forever war. Almost 40,000 Afghan civilians had been killed, hundreds of thousands were displaced, and more than 2,400 US military personnel had died. But when he took office at the start of 2017, he pledged an extra 3,000 troops to Afghanistan. Bit confusing. Yeah, he did, but that was because Afghan security forces were struggling to fend off the Taliban. And what Trump did say, however, was that US soldiers would remain in the country to kill terrorists rather than to nation build. So he still wanted out. And in 2018, peace talks with the Taliban started. And they were very long and difficult. By February 2020, a deal was done. The agreement was that the US would pull out its soldiers by May 2021 on the condition that the Taliban would not let Afghanistan be used as a haven for terror groups like al-Qaeda. The Afghan government wasn't a party to those discussions. So the next step was that the Taliban had to hold peace talks with them to work out a peaceful way forward. Those talks were happening, but they've stalled after attacks by the Taliban on government troops and also the bombing of sites where Afghan women, activists and journalists work and also on schools. Those events we've seen on our TV screens of late, Claire, and they're continuing. Yeah, the US has kept up its side of the bargain, though. By the time President Joe Biden took office at the start of this year, 2021, troop numbers came down from 4,000 in November 2020 to just two and a half thousand. And Biden promised to keep to the total withdrawal agreement, albeit a little bit later than the May deadline. He said that it would be done by 11 September this year. That's the 20th anniversary of those terror attacks in the US. And that brings us to where things are at now. It's been confirmed that US troops are mostly out and the remainder will be withdrawn by the 31st of August. And Biden has defended that call in recent days, saying that it's the right and the responsibility of the Afghan people alone to decide their future and how they want to run their country. That's a quote from him. 
and Australia's followed suit. The last of our 80 troops were pulled out in recent weeks. The withdrawal of troops, Claire, doesn't mean things are settling down in Afghanistan. In fact, far from it. Since the start of this year, the Taliban have taken control of about a third of the country's nearly 400 districts and they're knocking on the door of the major capital city in Afghanistan, Kabul. Yeah, and in recent days, there've been reports of thousands of government troops fleeing across the northern border. That's into Tajikistan and also surrendering to the Taliban without a fight. As for Afghanistan's government, US intelligence agencies are reported to have concluded that it could collapse in a matter of months after the US military withdrawal is completed. That prediction's also echoed by those at the top of the US and UK military. Experts say it's just a matter of time before the Taliban advance towards that capital. So the big question is, what's the Afghan government doing to to sort of head that off? So the current president is Ashraf Ghani. He is fighting to stay in control. His government is now turning to warlords and to influential tribal figures to support uh, and put together an anti-Taliban militia. And the government is calling on the people to join in the fight against the Taliban. It's a cycle of war and misery that just looks set to repeat. So finally, Claire, just before we finish, people listening might be thinking, what was the point of the last 20 years? Yeah, it's a reasonable question to ask with all of that death and destruction. But uh, those at the time said that they needed to step in to stop those Islamic extremists heading to global terrorism. They say that they've done that. But of course, the big concern is that those groups will be in resurgence. So it's all a real mess. That's your shortcut to Afghanistan. On to our recommendations. Each episode of Squiz Shortcuts, we recommend some further reading, listening or watching. During the war in Afghanistan, Claire, 41 Australian soldiers died. There's a link to their profiles to remember who they were and the sacrifices they made in your episode notes. Yeah, terribly sad, that of course. Kate, I've got something that's a little bit happier. It's an Afghan recipe that I like. It's really easy to make. It's delicious. It's got lamb. It's got rice. It's got spices. And Afghanistan has such a rich culture. It's a shout out to that. Yeah, yum. It has been a rather sad shortcut, but I guess that's the way things go sometimes. Perhaps we can do something a bit lighter next week, Claire. We haven't decided that's yet. That's a but good idea, you've isn't got it? Any requests, <laughs> send them through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. Thanks as always for listening to Squiz Shortcuts. We'll be back next week.